Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 124 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Bonjour. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Bonjour. Oh, very French. Is that the second bonjour in a row? No, I think it was yo last time. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I mix up slang and French all the time, so that's my bad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maggie, our daughter, has been really into the concept of other countries. She told <laughs> me one example is she was talking, she was pointing to pictures of Paris, and I started speaking French, and she thought it was hilarious. <laughs> she was just like, mommy's talking complete gibberish. Um but another example is she was telling me how, based on a book she read, that there are cold mountains here, but there are hot mountains, a.k.a. volcanoes, far away in Pompeii. Oh. Um, and she's going to go there on a plane. And when she's on the plane, she's going to read and she's going to call Baba, her grandma. So I mean, Maggie's got a whole plan. Does she know that it's illegal to call people from an airplane? <laughs> Maggie, come on. I was I was going to compliment her plan. That just sounds like an adult's plan. She dreams very achievable dreams. Yeah. It is funny to be like, Go what are you going to do on the plane? Read, 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 read. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Uh, but that's been fun. Speaking of nice. bonjour, how are you guys? How's um, life wherever you guys are? It's hot in Woodstock. What's going on with this? We got LA weather here. Oh, we want it back. It's been yeah. rainy here. I mean, here. I would trade you. It was like, it's been like 90 degrees last few days. Boo-hoo. We completely skipped spring. It's Pompeii up in here. <laughs> it's hot mountains up in here. Yeah, it's so hot mountain up here. <laughs> uh, but I, no, I'm, I'm good. It's been pretty quiet up here in the Catskills. Andrew, mm-hmm. have you continued on your streak of can't be stopped, won't be stopped? Andrew defeats Goodreads goal. Energy. Yeah, no, this is my, you know, hero's journey against a Goodreads goal. Um, <laughs> I forget. I think I was at 17 books ahead of schedule last time. Wow. I am 19 books ahead of schedule oh, now. come on. Yeah. Oh, no. And I only have 100 pages left in Ninth House. So everybody oh, bow to my success. You are courting disaster <laughs> so hard. I'm just wait until your wise mentor dies. I mean, that's what's going to happen next. Oh, no. Spoilers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I'm proud of you, Andrew. That's amazing. I am barely keeping on my goal. Have you read anything interesting lately? Have you just been catching up on Bardugo's? Uh, The book I've been mostly reading recently is Ninth House, which I haven't finished yet, but I've been really enjoying. Um, I read um, your book for the podcast this week because I was curious, Bailey. Surprise. Me too. Oh! Double the fun. Yeah. Um, I also read In Cold Blood. Oh, heard of it. Oh, classic. I love that one. And The Woman in Cabin 10, which is a previous entry onto this podcast. So I've been bouncing all around. Heck yeah. I remember nothing about that book. I know that I read it. <laughs> I know it involves a boat. Well, and Bailey, a list. you know what the good thing is? <laughs> you can go back and listen to that episode. That's true. Ah. Okay, cool. Um, I have been... Reading the book for the podcast, I did get some shame. Moving on to the next sentence. Uh-oh. Um, nothing ca- Come on. <laughs> the next sentence being the details of that shame. <laughs> um, my friend Justine came out with a book from HarperCollins, and it just I went to their book launch. The book is called Bianca Torre is Afraid of Everything. It's about a non-binary teen birder who witnesses a murder. And then gets, you know, in the path of the murderers as they try to investigate it. It's really excellent. You can find it anywhere. But anyway, at that book Mm. launch, I was like, I already bought Bianca Torre. I already bought the book. So I have to buy something to support the local bookstore, Skylight Books. 
So so I did buy two books. Oh, yeah. Okay, of course. <laughs> I bought, this was an impulse buy. It's called um, The Book That No One Wanted to Read by Richard Ayode. Um, I like Richard Ayode. Oh, yeah. He's funny. I like the IT crowd. I like Submarine, the movie he made. So I thought, okay, I'm going to check this out. And it, it was a middle grade and it had lots of pictures. So I was excited. And I was like, oh, this will be quick. I took it oh, home. Okay. It's a basically like metafiction about like, reading in the process of enjoying writing and reading but mm. i read it in about like half an hour yeah. <laughs> it was there were a lot more pictures than i thought and it was clearly targeted for like eight-year-olds so but it helped to my goodreads go so there you Score. go and then the other book i got finally 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 i found a copy of i have some questions for you by your friend and my rebecca mckay oh yeah um at the bookshop so i've been looking for that i got it and just as i was about to read it what happened dylan uh, first off, you weren't about to read it. <laughs> I was once I finished Percy Jackson and the other book I was reading, I was then going to read it. Yep. So now you have to wait for it to be on the choosing. And until then, I'm halfway through it. Oh. Dylan stole it. I stole reading. it. Nice. <laughs> because I realized that once she gets it, I'm not going to be able to read it. Yeah. Fair. You should have come to Woodstock. Uh, they've had signed copies at my local bookstore for a while and I regretted <gasps> ordering it online oh, no. for a second. Andrew is like a signed copies black hole. Like they just accumulate near him. I feel like every episode you're talking about some signed copy. Well, I do spend t most of my time in New York City and this weird area of upstate New York where for some reason there's a lot of bookstores with signed copies. What can I say? It's been annoying, though, because Dylan continually walks into the room and is like, Bailey, this book's your jam. Bailey, <laughs> it's so good. What? No, I just said that the book is about a true crime podcaster teaching a course at a preparatory high school in New England. And oh, and she also teaches a course on film. Mm. So it's about a film studies teacher. It was basically written for me. Yeah, but it's been read by me. Having known Dylan for a very long time, there's nothing he loves more than enjoying a piece of media and telling you that it's your thing. And then you read it and you're like a little bit offended because some of it is a little too accurate. Offended because he's right. Yes, offended because <laughs> he's right. And he, he got you. Yeah. Uh, Toby, do you have any shame? Uh, yes, I do. Surprise, surprise. What? <gasps> Yeah. Also, how are you and what's going on in your life? But tell us the shame first. <laughs> Everything's fine. Anyway, um, I went into my local bookstore. Well, the next town, the next city's bookstore, because I like it better. It's a Eureka Books. They're lovely. They have a really cool, like, upper area. I don't know how to describe it better than that. It's like there's an open space in the middle of the shop, but then you can go upstairs and it's very airy and light. It's wonderful. Um and I picked up two science fiction books um, just because I was in that mood. I got the third of the Remembrance of Earth's Past trilogy, which you might know better as the Three Body Problem trilogy by Xixin Liu. Um, and that is called Death's End. And uh, I'm already deep in it and I really, really love it. It's that series. I don't know if you guys remember this, um, but I, I read the first one. I read the Three Body Problem and hated it a lot. I really didn't enjoy that book. But then I was convinced by my friend to try the second one. And it's like one of my favorite science fiction books I've ever read. So yeah, the second one's way better. And yeah. the third one is completely nuts, like in the best way. Yeah, I've already got to some of the nuts stuff. It's very fun. There's a lot of time difference between the first book and the last book. I well, guess. I mean, it's not a spoiler to say they figure out how to like cryogenically freeze people. So there's a lot of like people, you know, jumping 400 years into the future, which is just fun. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The other book I got is another book in a series that I've been, you know, sort of reading, <laughs> but it's a very confusing series. It's Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. And I read the first one called Foundation. And then uh, for Christmas, my wife gave me Second Foundation, which you would think would be the second book in the series. But that's actually the third book in the series. So I went back to the store and got Foundation and Empire, which is uh, the second book in the series. And I'm excited to read that because that's a great series. That just seems intentionally confusing, Isaac. Yeah, it really does. I feel like you wouldn't get away with those shenanigans in publishing today. It feels like a, a way to get you to go back and get the second book. Yeah. Asimov definitely needed those kind of tricks to make sure his readers bought his books. <laughs> Was he the inventor of clickbait? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, in other news, Max, formerly HBO Max, is creating a new Harry Potter series. Oh, yeah. Terrible idea. Universally bad idea. Oh, God, does that mean I have to finally read the books? <laughs> finally finish our abandoned series of The Cupboard Under the Stairs because we started it like right before Transphobia came out and then we abandoned it yeah. rapidly. Yeah, just so um, maybe new pages know, Dylan has read all of the Harry Potter books except for what, the last 300 pages of the last book? <laughs> well, yeah, now. <laughs> now. It, we used to have a segment called Dylan's Cupboard Under the Stairs where he would read a bit and tell us about it. However, J.K. Rowling has come out to be a trash person, and so we abandoned that segment. And so Dylan will never know what happens to Harry Potter and his friends. I sure hope someone does something about this Voldemort guy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not sure how I feel about this series. We'll see. Um, but before we get into reviews, can I throw a quick plug in here? Oh, yeah. My friend Gina Femia is coming out with her first novel. It's a young adult novel called Alondra about a wrestler in Coney Island, has bisexual representation. It's like a coming of age story. And if you're looking for a book like that, it comes out April 18th, which I think is the day before this podcast comes out. So go find it. Wow. There you go. Can you get us a signed copy? I mean, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, of course. He's got three of them stuck to his body right now. <laughs> and I have no friends coming out with books, so buy, buy, <laughs> buy their friends' books. Well, all of that is to say that there are all of these books coming out, and the first rule <laughs> of reading books is that you have to share them on the podcast, but mm. Toby, uh, did you read any books this week? I read something. It wasn't a book. What was it? Uh, I experienced Wizard's First Rule by Terry Goodkind. I'm already on the edge of my seat, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like you loved it. Tell us more. Yeah, of course. Um, we'll get into a little, um, a little, little synopsis here. <clears throat> First, in the powerhouse fantasy series, The Sword of Truth, by prolific non-fantasy author Terry Goodkind, he's very clear about that, tells the story of Richard Cipher, a simple woods guide who is pulled by destiny into a global clash between good and evil, embroiled in a plot so clearly lifted from every other popular fantasy novel available at the time and a few other hilariously direct sources, readers will be forced to wonder how Goodkind avoided lawsuits. Oh, is that the back of the book? Yeah, it I is. I know, dude. This sounds like fantasy. <laughs> uh, oh, it sounds a lot like fantasy, but Goodkind is very clear. It's not fantasy. Um, so, first of all, Pejos, I just want to say I like books. I really do. I've been, I've been having like a pretty rough go of the choosing recently. I just want to say I enjoy books. Uh, I read a lot of books off the podcast that I enjoy, but I've just had a bit of a streak recently, okay? I like books. I'm not some <laughs> grumpus who just loves hating books. As the face of the choosing, I do have to point out that these books are chosen by you guys. Like, <laughs> like I'm not put, putting books I'm on this list. I'm going to go through my list and reassess every book because of this book. But we'll get into it. <laughs> um, so this is one of my favorite 
are like one of my most interesting kind of books that I see on Goodreads. It has a 4.2 rating. And if you're not familiar with Goodreads, that's a very, very good rating. That's like up there in the top, you know, five, 10% of books on Goodreads. However, it's one of those books where when you go into the ratings, the reviews are exclusively five stars and one stars. People love this book. They, They have you know, lines tattooed on them. They have pictures of the protagonists and other people loathe this book and kind of condemn it as like the worst that fantasy can be. Whoa, 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 but it's not fantasy. Oh, it is, sorry. <laughs> the worst that um, high literature can be, excuse me. Um, <laughs> so you should know if, you, if you're not aware, this book is divisive. A lot of people read this book way back in the day. A lot of people mention, I read this when I was like 13, 14. It was my first fantasy book. I love it so much. And I think maybe those people would have a a slightly different opinion if they read it today. But that's, you know, that's not me. We can only talk about how I feel. So a quick plot summary. Richard Cipher, keep track of that last name, is a woods guide. He's living in the Westlands. Um, It's a land devoid of magic. Um, But the neighboring Midlands is a magical world. And there's a magic border that nobody's allowed to cross that kind of keeps them separate. At the beginning of the book, his father dies mysteriously. uh, But immediately after, a gorgeous secretive woman named Kaylin shows up and she needs his help. He follows her prompting and quickly becomes a crucial part of this huge battle between good, which is him, Kaelin, and Zed, a wizard who's been in hiding in his non-magical world. Um, And then the evil side is represented by a supremely powerful wizard named Darken Rowl, um, who is bent on acquiring three magic boxes and gaining the power that will give him to rule the world, I think? Unclear. He just wants to do bad (laughs) stuff. He He can't have the boxes. What's in the box? I don't know. Uh, So Richard is immediately named as the Seeker by the wizard Zed. That means he gains the Sword of Truth, which is literally a sword that has truth written on it, um, on the handle. And then he has to go out into the... Sorry. (laughs) He has... Sick. He has to go out into the, he has to go out into the Midlands and try and find the third box. Dark and Raw already has two. If he finds the third, very bad things are going to happen. So Richard is supposed to go out there with his companions, find this box, which is literally just called a box. It's not a more interesting name for it. It's just a box, um, and prevent Raw from getting it, or the world is going to end. Pretty classic fantasy yeah. quest stuff. Wait, but did this come out before or after Ocarina of Time? <laughs> Don't know, actually. I like that to prove that it's not fantasy, he's like, okay, okay, there's not going to be any silly things. It's going to be truth literally on the sword, and it's going to be a box. End of list. No, not a, not no a treasure names. chest. No weird names. <laughs> not a treasure chest. Not a goblet. Nothing of that. It's a box. Very serious, non-fantasy. So, my elves. Um... <laughs> I, I guess some of the stuff is okay. Like there's moments here and there where things are like a little bit creative. Kaylin has a secret about herself that is somewhat creative, but it's also sort of stolen from the wheel of time. Like a lot of this stuff is stolen from other places. Um, honestly, I couldn't point to too many elves. So orcs. Whew. Whew. 
It would take too long and sound too mean to list all of my issues with this book, so I'll just pick a few of my favorites. Um, <laughs> starting with some minor stuff, Richard is the ultimate milk toast hero. He's just a blank piece of paper, an outline of a dude with nothing interesting to say. He doesn't really know anything. He sort of lucks into stuff, and also the rules of the world sort of bend around him. The rules of magic happen when they need to to service the plot and him, so you can't ever be like, impressed by him or proud of him because the circumstances just help him get through the book. Oh, and and he's supposed to be very, very clever, um, but the book is written in such a way where the twists you see like hundreds of pages before they happen. So he seems dumb. And then because he's supposed to be the clever one, the other characters seem like dumb as rocks. You're like, how does nobody see this coming? <laughs> the book is incredibly long. And I say this as a person who enjoys long fantasy books. The audiobook that I read, I think, was 34 hours, and it is viscerally boring. Um, the plot meanders. It has like this cold syrup pace. There's many, many long descriptions of nature kind of in the Tolkien vein, but not as beautifully written. And even Tolkien is too much. I think a lot of people admit, but they kind of, you know, indulge him because he's breaking ground. Terry Goodkind is clearly imitating poorly. There is a forbidden romance between Richard and Kaylin. I would say that it's okay, um, but you just know, like, there's no real tension to it. I think maybe if I was reading this as, like, a young reader, I would be, I'd be like, oh, my God, are they going to work it out? But this isn't written for young readers, and, and that leads me to my biggest orc. So there is a huge tone problem with this book. It's truly bizarre. There are many parts of the book, including kind of when the good characters are interacting with each other, where they're interacting with each other at like a like a middle grade level. You know, nothing against middle grade, but like things are pretty transparent as an adult. You can kind of see where every conversation is going. The dialogue is very on the nose. It just lulls you into this place where you're like, okay, well, this is the world of the of the books, right? Like it's a bit like Brandon Sanderson can feel where it's like a very clean version of the world. It can just feel like a very clean version of the world. And so you're like, okay, this is the type of fantasy that we're living in. And that's fine. Like that's a that's a type of fantasy. That's fine. As long as you're consistent. However, you go over to the evil character side and the whiplash is insane. There is so much sexual violence. It is crazy. I don't want to say the R word over and over, but there's tons of it to women, to children, to men, like everybody. Everybody's assaulted all Ugh, the time. It's yeah. like all the evil people can think to do. It's awful. Yeah. So it's like the, you know, the whiplash between these two tones where it's like saccharine, sweet and innocent on one side and then like overly hideously dark on the other side is just gross. It really is awful. Wow. It makes me think poorly of good kind because it truly seems like the kind of author where he couldn't think of anything else to do for his bad, you know, his villains to do. He's like, oh, well, this is it. Like, the, you know, bad people sexually assault other people. That's that's the only thing I can think to to up the stakes. And yeah, it's it's pretty bad. So, yeah, I, I want to make a small point here just so you don't think I'm being a prude or overly judgmental or something like that. I one of my favorite series, fantasy series that's that current right now is the first law series by Joe Abercrombie. Fantastic books. Can't recommend them enough. Um, they are universally recognized to be very dark, very cynical. I mean, the, the genre, which I think is kind of a silly name, is called grim dark. But it's characterized by really cynical characters, really dark stuff happening. But you know what never happens in any of the books? 
sexual assault hmm. because Abercrombie is a creative enough writer to up the stakes incredibly high without having to go down this road that honestly just feels uncreative, useless, and and just kind of hurtful and, and sad. So I think that Goodkind wanted to create a world like Abercrombie's where things are like very serious, the stakes are really high, but because he couldn't think of a way to do it without involving sexual assault, his books are much, much poorer for it. Anyway, my final orc is um, is a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, one of the things that always comes up when people talk about this book is uh, about a fifth of it near the end, when you think things are about to wrap up, then you look and you're like, there's a lot of this book left. Uh, Richard becomes abducted. He becomes separated from his party, taken captive by an extremely tall woman who wears skin-tight leather armor. She takes him back to a dungeon and she tortures him and has sex with him for about 120 pages. Oh, and she <laughs> makes him call her mistress over and over. I think someone's showing their cards there. Okay. Yeah. And from what I've read, the cards only continue to be shown more and more as the series goes on. You think there's a lot of it in this one? Seems like there's a lot more down the line. Um, I don't want to kink shame anyone. I'm not in that way. I'm just saying in this story, it comes off as bizarre. So, mm. yep. One star. It's uh, it's down there with a great and secret show. I liked The Great and Secret Show better than this, for sure. Whoa. Whoa! There's at least some originality in that, you know, Clive Barker was taking some big swings that I didn't enjoy, but they were big, bizarre, interesting new swings. And this is just derivative, terrible, uh, can't not recommend it enough. So that's how I feel about this book. I think it's my least favorite book oh that I've read for the podcast. Wow. You texted us at one point, like, Terry Goodkind, more like Terry Mean Bad. And I was like, what are you talking mm-hmm. about? <laughs> yeah, well, we haven't even gotten into his personal life. And uh, maybe Andrew can elucidate some stuff on that. Yeah. Andrew, do you have any facts on, on this lovely human? All right. Yeah. Some facts about uh, Scary Terry. <laughs> scary Terry. <laughs> All right, so Terry Goodkind um, was born on January 11th, 1948 in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm. Heard of it? (laughs) I assumed he was British. Nope, he is an American. And actually, we'll get to it in a second, Maine features in his biography, but we'll get there in a minute. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, So he grew up in Omaha. Um, He had dyslexia and uh, didn't like continue with school beyond high school. He apparently had like no interest in school is what his his bio says, though apparently he stuck Mm. snuck away to the library often and would like read at his own pace things that interested him. But like formal schooling was not for him. Mm. And throughout his life, he was like defined by sort of hyper focus on the things that interested him and then sort of like discarding what didn't interest him. Hmm. In uh, 1983, so he's actually kind of a a late bloomer in terms of writing. He did a lot of maybe odd jobs is the wrong way of putting it, but he had a lot of different sort of careers. But he focused on like carpentry and cabinet making. And that was what he did for most of his life. However, in 1983, uh, he moved to Maine with his wife, Jerry. Jerry, good kind. <laughs> Terry and Jerry moved to Maine. Um, <laughs> to fetch a pail of water. Uh, uh, and he spent nine years building a home on, on Mount Desert Island in Maine, which is about three hours up the coast. It's, it's right near Bar Harbor. It's a beautiful part of Maine. And while he was doing it, he was working on this book. And, and Wizard's First Rule apparently was a labor of love for many, many years. Makes sense that he lived in Maine because the Midlands is basically Maine. There you go. Okay. Again, before he uh, published his first novel, he he did a lot of different things. He also was a painter and made violins. And he was a good enough painter of uh, specifically wildlife and marine things to uh, sell to galleries. Hmm. So he had a a quite sort of of jack-of-all-trades thing going on. 
But in 1994, it all changed because that is when Wizards First Rule was published. And it was sort of a, uh, a hot property. Yep. It sold at auction for a record price of $275,000. And every subsequent book in the series, except for one or two, spent significant time on the bestseller list. So he hit upon something at, <laughs> that people were, were going for. Yeah. This is why this book was on my list is because I wasn't of the age to read it when I was a kid, but I have since I was a child, like I was interested in fantasy always and I saw it everywhere. Everybody had it. Every bookstore had copies of it. Every secondhand bookstore has like 40 Terry Goodkind books in the fantasy section. So I always was like, I should check this out. And uh, I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) How many books in the series? Like many. Many. So it's confusing because different things seem to say different amounts of books. And I'm curious if certain ones are like not officially in the series. Um, Looking on the list here in front of me, there are 16 books directly in the series, though a 17th book is listed as number 4.5, which was published standalone, but was like subsequently worked in. Mm. And then he also published some other books that um, sort of vaguely tie in to the series, but aren't directly in the series. That's a lot. Yup. So immediately upon it publishing, it was quite successful. He wrote consistently uh, throughout the rest of his life. So for example, just to give you a a sense of it, Wizard's Force Rule comes out in 1994. The sequel, Stone of Tears, comes out in 1995. Then we get a 96, a 97, a 98, a 99, a 2000. Wow. So it, it actually is almost one a year. Until 2007, only 2004 is skipped. Wow, and those are long books. Yeah, so he's like cracking them out. And he took a little bit of a break, and then we have 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. 2017, 2018. Wait, sorry. Two in 2018. Um, (laughs) A 2020. Anyway, so he's very prolific. And, you know, he was a little bit divisive. Now we should get into it. He um, absolutely loves Ayn Rand. Oh, okay. He dedicated one of his books in in 2001 to the people of the United States intelligence community who for decades have valiantly fought to preserve life and liberty while being ridiculed, condemned, demonized, and shackled by the jackals of evil, which I don't really know what it means, but it feels weird. (laughs) You know who has it hard? Intelligence officers. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a little bit, like there's hints of it in this book. I was like, what is this feeling that I'm feeling? And it's not that explicit in this book, but I guess it gets crazy explicit in later books. Yeah, it seems to be built upon and built upon. Not the intelligence stuff that I don't think there's very much intelligence stuff in this one. Yeah. So, Toby, I know you said you looked up some other things. I want to throw in one quote from uh, British critic Robert Eagleston, who uh, I think agrees Mm -hmm. with your reading of the books, Toby, who described his books as, quote, a depressing read because of the (laughs) overarching cynicism with a weakness of them being that the the heroic characters are only likable in comparison to utterly murderous villains. (laughs) Yes. I would, I would say that's accurate. Yeah. So if you want to throw in some facts, I'll, cool. I'll just say he, he died on September 17th, 2020. No cause of death has been released. Um, he was midway through a novel that his wife is quoted as saying, only he knew where it was ending, so it will never come out. And <laughs> he loved uh, auto racing and had a racing team called Rawl Racing. And he drove for yeah. them in a sort of amateur semi-professional capacity. So you'll see a lot of pictures of him online in a mm. racing uh, outfit. I think this is the thing that is hard for uh, good kind lovers to ignore um, when they are faced with who he was as a person. He gave many interviews in which he said that basically fantasy sucks. Um, <laughs> 
Um, he said it was shallow and useless, and he didn't write fantasy because his stuff was above that. Uh, his books actually had characters that made moral choices, all sorts of stuff like that. He said it again and again, and it was truly bizarre. Like, I've never read a book that is more clearly fantasy. First of all, fantasy is filled with characters that make moral choices. It's kind of what's interesting about fantasy. It's very dismissive of him to say that. And then, of course, his books are fantasy. Like, they've got... Them dragons and wizards and like not that that's yeah um so that's one of the many divisive things he said i do have a one small quote of him on that saying on reddit he mm. told his fans he had quote irrevocably changed the face of fantasy and injected mm-hmm. thought into a tired empty genre there we go wow. there we go <laughs> yep and so that reminds me as well um he's been accused of lifting many things from robert jordan's very successful wheel of time series um which i personally have come around on. I'm now on the fourth book of The Wheel of Time. I think I read the first one for the podcast and didn't care for it so much, but I've really come to love that series. He definitely lifted stuff from it, and um, he was confronted about this, and he said, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, he said, if you notice a, a similarity between my books and Robert Jordan's, then you're probably not old enough to read my books. What? And then um, Robert <laughs> Jordan had a great comeback where he was asked near the end of his life when Goodkind had published many books and this kind of controversy was well known. They said, you know, what do you, you know, have you heard of this, like this controversy? And he said, I am aware of Mr. Goodkind. <laughs> That's all he had to say on the subject. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final kind of referendum on his character is there is an incident uh, on Facebook of all places where out of nowhere, Goodkind put up a cover of one of his own books that an artist had created for him and ridiculed the cover. He just said it was embarrassingly bad. Uh, he was ashamed to have it as his cover and he invited his fans to make fun of the art that had been created for his book. And Ugh. the artists themselves commented and said, great working with you, Mr. Goodkind, and just um, pretty poor way to behave. Wow. Yeah, so that's Terry Goodkind. I hope, <laughs> I hope people enjoyed learning a little bit about him. I mean, I did. Mm-hmm. That was a lot. It makes me feel, you know, sometimes I feel guilty about giving one-star reviews. I don't, I don't feel that guilty about sharing yeah, a one-star yep. review about this guy. Guys, yep. I looked up what our last one-star was. What is it? Do you guys want to guess? No, just tell me. Spoiler, no, I... it came from Toby. No. Oh, the time traveler's wife. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like the time traveler's wife so much more than this book. <laughs> <laughs> so much more. Oh, man. Maybe I need to rethink my one-star threshold. <laughs> All right. Well, that is Wizard's First Rule by Scary Mean Bad. I mean, sorry, Terry Goodkind. One star. Sorry, One star. Terry. Hey, Bailey, did you read a book this week? You know, I did. Clearly fantasy, and it's clearly for children. <laughs> it is called The Lightning Thief, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, book one by Rick Riordan. Kapow. Boom. Kapow. I'm Hades. Um, yeah, and, and in case uh, you didn't remember it from the intro, I read this book too, and I think so did Andrew. Yay! Yay, good job, team. <laughs> Neither of you had read it before, right? No, nope. I had seen the second half of the film adaptation. Okay. Well, this book came out, I think I was in college when it came out, so I think I was too old mm-hmm. for it, and also, like, it was very much marketed as for boys. Yeah. So, for those of you who are not familiar, um, The Lightning Thief follows our protagonist, Perseus Jackson, who is, I forget how old he is. How old is he? 12? Yeah, he's 12. So if you guys only know the movie, that was confusing. (laughs) How old is he in the movie? (laughs) He's like 16 and is meant to be like a heartthrob. (laughs) Yeah, he's hot. (laughs) Oh boy. 
so uh, he's a 12-year-old. He, like Terry Goodkind, was dyslexic. Uh-oh. Oh, okay. Percy Jackson has ADHD. He has a really hard time succeeding in school. He keeps getting in trouble. He keeps getting pushed from school to school to school. He finally ends up at this school called the Yancey Academy, and he finally finds who he thinks are his people. He has a best friend named Grover who kind of walks strangely, but he understands him, and he's got his back. And he has a really awesome teacher who's always looking out for him and always believes in him, even when it seems like Percy Jackson can never do well on a test. Then, one day, (laughs) one of Percy's teachers suddenly turns into a giant bat creature and attacks him. He defeats the creature. And then things start coming into place. And you guys will never guess, never guess, but... (laughs) He may or may not be the child of a god. Hard to say which one. Hard to say which one. It is like, it's really impossible to say, but like whenever he's in the water, like he has more strength. I will say that. I will say that like when he has dreams, like he might like picture the beach and stuff, but like it's really hard to say which god it is. I'm god of sand. To be fair, if I was 12, I would be mystified. I'd be like, who is it? (laughs) I had no idea that Gryffindor was going to win that house cup. That's all I'll say. (laughs) So that just kind of leads to um, my main thesis of the review of this book. I found it to be really fun. I really enjoyed it more than I enjoyed a lot of the books that I've written for middle schoolers (laughs) that I read, you know, way too late, such as Hoot and Redwall. Sorry, Toby. I liked this one a lot. Redwall is for adults, too. Well, Redwall is for professors of English literature. (laughs) Thank you. Not fantasy. Redwall is for adults that have never seen a mouse in their life. (laughs) (laughs) But I found it to be really fun. But yes, it is for children. And it was so obvious from page one what's going to happen, who Percy is, who the bad guy is, that it almost made me think, is this teaching children how to spot? clues (laughs) foreshadowing Um, but you know I can get behind it not every kid was obsessed with Greek myths like me maybe not every kid would know but I found it to be really fun there were a lot of cool interesting ideas I really liked the juxtaposition of Greek mythology in modern day United States Mm mm-hmm the gods follow Western civilization, which now the hub of it is in the United States. So Boo. instead of there being, you know, a Mount Olympus, like a mountain, a cold mountain, as Maggie would say, mm. the top of the Empire State Building is where Mount Olympus is. And Dylan, if you had to guess, where do you think Hades <laughs> the Underworld is? The subway. But what specific city? Detroit. Nope. <laughs> Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> he takes a lot of shots at Los Angeles. I'll say that. But yes, the Hades, the underworld is in Los Angeles in a recording studio. Mm-hmm. But it, I liked that kind of stuff. Yeah. To me, it's pretty obvious when they run into somebody, you know, named Auntie M, where it's they're surrounded by stone statues of people looking scared. And Auntie M kind of sounds like hissing and there's a vein over mm-hmm. her head. Like, who could she be? Who is it? I know. <laughs> But I, I enjoyed it. I think it's a fun way to learn about myths if you didn't necessarily know a lot about the myths. And it's fun to see all the action and shenanigans um, Percy gets into with his friend Grover, who turns out to be a satyr, which is why he's walking strange. Mm-hmm. And Annabeth, who is the daughter of Athena. Yep. Um, 
it's really fun to see what they get up to. Um, and the action scenes are really well done. I was into it. I was like, oh, this I kind of want to, you know, see the movie. I had a little bit, you know, I'm an adult. So, like, <laughs> I got a little frustrated when some decisions were clearly made, like, for the page count versus for mm. the story. Like, for example, like, there's one point where Percy's like, Grover specifically told me that I should stay and go with him, and that's really important to him. But I forgot about that and just didn't do it. I'm like, what? <laughs> or like, it would be really dangerous for me to do X, Y, Z, but I'm going to do it anyway. And weirdly, nothing happened. And later, the gods told me it was on purpose that they let me get through that thing. And I'm like, well, I'm talking about Chekhov's airplane here. It's not fun. Um <laughs> Little quibbles are what keep it from a complete five star for me, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a fast read. Um, I'm excited. Like if I were, I don't know, maybe even now I'm kind of want to read book two. I kind of want to know what happens and I definitely would recommend it for kids. Also, I really love the chapter titles. Like yeah. that kind of made me smile from page one because I was like, oh, is this book going to be lame? Is it going to be like clearly not meant for me? And then chapter one is called, I accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra teacher. Yeah. And I thought that that was really cute and made me excited for the chapters. It made me want to keep reading because I would see the title and think, oh, I'm just going to read the next one. Mm-hmm. So all in all, I'm going to I'm gonna give this a four star. I don't think it's perfect, outstanding, fantastic five-star, but I had a lot of fun and it was a pleasant surprise. What about you, Toby? What'd you think? I think I was primed to really enjoy this book because I read it directly after Wizard's First Rule. <laughs> I, had this, I really thought about it a lot. I was like, like from the very beginning, I could see that Rick Riordan had succeeded in so many ways that Terry Goodkind had failed. One of the ways he really succeeds is Percy is a hero, right? Like Richard is supposed to be a hero, but he's actually kind of gross and dumb. And Percy has failings. He makes mistakes. But there's something subtle about him where you're just rooting for him from page one. He's courageous. He's helps his friends. It's just like I read Wizard's First Rule and marveled at the fact that a book so bad could be so popular. And then I read Percy Jackson and said, this book deserves the outstanding, insane success that it had. Um, I agree with all yeah, of the things yeah. that you said. Yeah, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think as an adult, it's a little tough to like wade through some of the stuff because you see where it's going. But I was able to cast myself back to when I was like 12 years old. I would have eaten this up if it came out, you know, when I was supposed to be reading it. So um, I gave it four stars just because, you know, personal reading experience. I probably should have read it when I was 12. Um, but I <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed this book. I, I think it's great. Andrew, I'm nervous. Did you agree with us? No, I, I completely agreed. I had a great time reading this book. I mean, again, sort of primed for it with growing up around the age of like of the Percy characters, like being kind of obsessed with Greek myths and stuff. Mm. It was just like a kind of like a warm little hug of a book. Yeah. I think I also go with four stars because there were some times where it was like, okay, Rick, you're writing like <laughs> what you think a 12 year old likes. Talks a lot about Coke and cheeseburgers. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I really liked it. And I'm, I'm with you, Bailey. I kind of want to read the next one. What's it called? Sea of Monsters? Yeah. And tell you what, if you like them, there's a lot of them. <laughs> That's what I heard. And I don't want to jump on your facts, Andrew, but there is a Disney Plus TV show coming out uh, next year, I think. So I'll I'll talk a little bit about what's exciting about that. Okay, well, let's let's go right into it. It's clearly like we all like this book. Andrew, tell us more about Rick Riordan. So Richard Russell Riordan Jr. enters, a.k.a. RRR. There you go. What a great movie. Uh, was born in San Antonio, Texas 
on June 5th, 1964. So uh, he grew up his whole uh, childhood in the San Antonio area, uh, and he attended first a music program at North Texas State University because his first dream was to be a guitarist. But he did not complete that program, transferred to UT Austin uh, and studied English and history and got his teaching certificate at another UT school in San Antonio and then relocated to San Francisco and taught English and social studies uh, for about almost a decade. He married his wife, Becky Riordan, uh, in 1984 five when he was pretty young actually now that i do that math and they have a shared birthday and that's also the day they got married so that's fun that's cute yeah and together uh they have two sons uh haley and patrick in particular uh haley who's the older of the children has adhd and dyslexia and part of what inspired uh to write the series is he um started telling haley bedtime stories that were sort of based on like modern greek things Mm. and like through those bedtime stories sort of created the first initial like musings that would become percy jackson wow man i want that to be my story i'm just telling a bedtime story to maggie and then i'm like but wait i can (laughs) isn't that how J.R. tolkien started to write the lord of the rings as well yeah hobbit was a was a book for his children so if you guys want to write a book all you have to do is have a kid yeah Though I jump ahead because he actually was an established writer prior to the Percy Jackson series. He wrote a series of like noir detective novels called um, the Trace Navarre series. Uh, His first novel um, in that series is called Big Red Tequila. Um, And it was actually pretty successful and won several awards. So I suppose those are not for children with tequila in the title. (laughs) Uh, yeah, these are these are adults. Uh, there's seven books in that series. He actually wow. continued writing them a little bit into his Percy Jackson time, but has very hardly pivoted towards uh, more of a mythology-based young adult bent nowadays. Mm. In addition to his own books that he writes, he uh, has an imprint of a publishing company where he seeks out new voices, specifically trying to find like diverse and unrepresented voices, which is cool. Does he lift up writers from the intelligence community, though? Because they're the ones who are really suffering. <laughs> they're the ones who I'm most worried about. But no, he seems <laughs> he just seems like a good dude. So the initial Percy Jackson series has five books in it, starting with The Lightning Thief. Uh, and there have been subsequent books that are related to it. There's another pentology called The Heroes of Olympus. And there's now going to be a fifth book that's coming out this year called The Chalice of the Gods that directly goes to the fifth book of Percy Jackson the Olympian. So we're getting a lot of work here. Nice. Ooh. But lest you think he's only about Greek myths, he also has done two separate trilogies, one called The Cain Chronicles, which focuses on Egyptian myths, and one called Magnus Chase and the Gods of Asgard, which I think you can guess focuses on North North mythology. Mm. It's one of those things where you can't really be angry at him for like hitting gold and then just keep digging. But it's like, no one thought of this earlier. I know it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so he's there's there's a lot of books to read if you are if you're into it, especially if you're getting excited, especially if you know in a few years, quite a few years, Maggie starts getting excited at this sort of thing. There is mm. uh, quite the well to draw from in the uh, Riordan universe. Nice. As Bailey mentioned, there is a new series coming to Disney Plus next year, um, which is the Percy Jackson and the Olympian story. The series, just looking at the casting announcements, seems like it's going to be more true to the book in terms of the kids being a bit younger. I think they're going to follow the progression a little more naturally. We'll see. An exciting casting announcement is that Dionysus, a.k.a. Mr. D, will be played by none other than Jason Manzoukas, which I feel like is perfect oh, casting. That's amazing. Oh, 100%. There's a, a teaser out, if 
you guys want to see it. It doesn't really reveal that much. It's more atmospheric, but you know, mm. it seems like they're going to get it right. And Riordan is uh, directly involved in terms of being a producer and like a writer on that series. So he's definitely got his stamp of approval. So I'm looking forward to checking that out. Um, he continues to publish more books and uh, he probably won't run out of them soon, but he seems like an all around good guy. And that's Rick Riordan. Nice. That just turned the podcast around. Rick Ryer Goodman. (laughs) (laughs) That is Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. Four stars. Four stars. Woo! Woo! That's 12 stars in total. Yeah. I love it when we agree on stars. Actually, I love it when we disagree, too. So, just good times. Andrew, do you have any games for us? I'm really hoping it's (laughs) identify all the Greek mythology, because I could do great at that. Andrew, did you read a game this week? I did make a game this week, and Bailey, you might be lucky. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I have played many hours of Hades, so that's my that's my frame of reference. But I am kind of setting myself up, because what if I fail? Well, I think this game should be relatively equal, but let's see. So, the name of the game this week is Gods Are Among Us. Mm-hmm. Sort of taking from the, the Percy Jackson and, you know, hey, Atlas Shrugged. Atlas is a god. <laughs> So that that, that part's for you, Terry. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you get. Um, So the way the game is going to work is I have chosen some people, either fictional or non-fictional, who have a um, specifically actually Roman god's name. Okay. Uh, It's all their first name. Okay. And what I'm going to do is I have four facts or like four little jokey descriptions of them that get more and more specific. Mm -hmm. I'm going to list those things in order. You can buzz in by saying, a god among us. (laughs) Okay. You have the opportunity to buzz in after each like fact or joke that I read, but you only get to buzz in once. So just know that the facts are going to get more specific. So if you're not mm-hmm. sure, keep your powder dry, Toby. What? <laughs> do, you, do you get more points if you guess it earlier? The only difference in points is if you get it on the first guess, you get three points. Other than that, you get one. Okay. Nice. And uh, just just for the pages at home, not for me, um, the Roman, it's like Mars, Jup- like, you know, the names of the planets, right? It's Mars, Jupiter. There's one that's the same, which might or might not Uranus. come up. No. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Minus one point. So is that pretty clear? I feel like it's a pretty straightforward game. Yep. Don't say anything more about Roman gods. Got it. Ready to play? Remember, these characters yes. can be fictional or real. I can't wait for Bailey to forget the buzz-in phrase and nobody tell it to her. Question one. Packed a big punch. Mm. All right. Moving on. Father of Adonis. Oh, 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 oh. God's Among Us. Yes, Bailey? Apollo Creed. That is correct. Apollo Mm. Creed. (laughs) Apollo is the same in the two two, uh, pantheons. Um, I got it. One point for Bailey because you didn't get it on the first one. The other two facts were no friend of Drago and played by an actor who could get a stew going in case anybody. (laughs) So one point for Bailey. But again, with the three points, it's really hard to be knocked out of this game. So next question played by a dame. All right. May have nine lives. Uh, God among us. Yes. Uh, Minerva McGonagall. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Tying up the game. Oh, yeah. All right. One to one. Only three questions left. This one's a little harder, but let's see. First name, all God. Second name, place you visit gods. God among us. Uh Uh-oh. Bailey. Juno Temple. That's correct. (laughs) 
Uh, Toby, you're going to have to take a big swing to try to get one and one here because Bailey is up to four points. But yes, Juno Temple, who plays Keely on Ted Lasso and is a lot of other movies and TV shows, uh, is the answer. Question four. Bailey can make it a win if she gets three points on this, but we will see. Featured in a lot of movies and TV recently. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Come on. All right. Number two. Ex-husband just got a new title. Has two sons. Recently played by Elizabeth Debicki, Kristen Stewart, and Emma Corrin. Oh, me. A God's Among Us. Yes, Bailey? Diana Spencer. Yes, Princess Diana is what I was going for, but yes. Diana Spencer. Uh, (laughs) All right. Uh Uh-oh. So here's the thing, Toby. Technically, Bailey has five points, Mm -hmm. and you have one. Mm -hmm. Yep. But that's, I make the rules correct. here. Oh. And if you can get this one with one guess, I'm going to say it's a tie game. You guys are both wonderful. Okay. Well, I'm just going to have to guess after the first clue. Here we go. Two gold medals and eight overall. Nope. No idea. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see who gets the points. Very fast where it's very cold. Oh. Three names. Oh, um, me. Me. God, oh. God among us. To Bailey. It's the speed skater. Apollo Anton Ono. Apollo Anton Ono is correct. Bailey uh, really rocks oh, no. it. She technically wins six points to one. However, Toby, you were really <laughs> in it. I don't want you to feel ashamed. Let's not let the scoreboard tell the story here. Uh, well, you know, my day will come next episode, I'm sure. Toby, you won last week. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. I'll win the next one. Yeah. Well, thank you for playing. I hope that was fun. It was fun. Good game. What about Pluto the dog? Not a planet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now it's time to let Dylan out of the underworld. Dylan, let's get past Cerberus, um, come to the surface, and it's time for you to choose books at random from our shelf. It's time for The Choosening. The Choosening. The Choosening. A.K.A. Dylan's stand-up set. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Toby, I don't have to tell you what your book is, right? Because we both come from similar backgrounds. We understand each other. You would say we're like a something spirits. We'd be like the number 16, Kindred by Octavia Butler. There you go, buddy. You're going to like that. Thank the fates. Thank the three fates. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I pretty much guarantee I'm going to like this book. I'm stoked. It's Kindred by Octavia Butler. (laughs) Good. It's going to be a good time. I mean, it's probably going to be a very like depressing and sad time, but it'll be a good book. And then Bailey. Yes. Okay, I'm excited to hear your review of this after you read the review of number three, The Anthropocene, reviewed by John Green. <laughs> Whoa. Ah, okay. No way. I happen to be reading that book right now. No what? way. Yeah, Perfect. I got it from the there you go. I think we did John Green with um, Andrew Red, Fault in Our Stars, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And I have Turtles all the way down on my list, but maybe I'll read cool. along as well. It's been a while. My understanding is this comes from John Green's podcast, and it's sort of like a jokey reviewing of yeah. modern life. So I'm excited. I'm all for it. It is. Yeah. It's a good podcast. Not as good as ours, obviously. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Okay. So that means in two weeks on the podcast, I will be reviewing The Anthropocene, reviewed by John Green, <laughs> and Andrew is reading 10th of December by George Saunders. Oh, good episode. I mean, every episode's a good episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List Podcast. 
And if you are stuck in a world that is not a fantasy, absolutely not a fantastical <laughs> world, uh, and you want to not be given one stars like Toby, give us five stars instead and leave us a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice, in particular Apple Podcast. It helps new people find our podcast and keeps us from rating you one star. Uh, yeah. And I mean, this is very this is very general, so I hope you forgive me. But if you're like a tortured dominatrix with, with magic and you have captured the hero... <laughs> Uh, of your world, uh, tell him about um, this podcast because, you know, word of mouth is our best advertisement and uh, you telling your friends is, is just the best way for people to find out about the show. So do it. Love it. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books, books. books.